0: You're walking with footsteps in educational ministry. Welcome to the podcast. Each episode is aimed at discussion and encouragement of Christian ministry education, including academic, extracurricular and spiritual activities, and family ministry. We hope you find today's topic to be interesting. In our last episode, we talked about science and the need to get outside into creation in order to appreciate the creator. To continue the conversation, welcome back to Julie Desa and Stacey Hayes, who combined to supervise the elementary and middle grade science here at Lake Point.
1: It's great to be here. Thank you. In this
0: session, let's talk about Lake Point's patient, very intentional progression of science from the primary grades through high school. There is so much emphasis on science and getting the youngest children into lab coats and doing serious science, whatever that is. How does Lake Point's more classical focus upon language arts and math in the elementary years cultivate science learning through the grade levels? What did you call them last time, Stacy?
1: There are stepping stones to learning good science.
0: Well, science is taught as a subject in academic institutions like ours and there is a tendency to want to jump right to the workbook pages mm-hmm. and we have young boys especially in our program who will talk a blue streak about the different type of hummingbirds until you put a pencil in his hand <laughs> and then you get hummingbirds fly period
1: <laughs> right
0: so what how do you see the progression Uh, In teaching science to elementary children, how to avoid getting them to plug out by making too much through the written.
2: Right. So at our school, we choose a um, one-day-of-direct-instruction approach at those lower grades to give them lots of opportunity throughout the rest of the week to get out in their environment and explore We encourage that. We encourage them to bring things in to show us what they've been finding out in nature, what they've been learning. But we don't put pencil to paper very much in those uh, kindergarten, first and second grade classrooms. They are more outside or we are bringing things into the classroom to look at. In third and fourth grade, we stay at a one day a week opportunity. We are giving them opportunity to do an activity, they're going to read about it, and now they might get to start thinking about what they saw, write some answers to some questions, and then it's going to lead on into something a little more in the fifth and sixth grade. But in the lower elementary years, we really want it as hands-on as possible so that they're building that really good foundational schema that they can build on as they get older.
0: So you're you're talking about the old show-and-tell. Do students still mm-hmm. like to bring in things to show?
2: Oh my goodness, do they ever give to Kind of guide them if they're going to bring in something alive. (laughs) They may want to bring in all sorts of critters. (laughs) A sibling. (laughs) Maybe.
0: (laughs) Well, in third and fourth grade, they get a little bit more adept at some of the academic, especially with the writing, but still they're in those years where they wonder about creation around them. So how do you continue to cultivate them through those years?
2: So in third and fourth grade, we still like to keep it uh, very hands-on with lots of good questions. The teacher's asking questions when she begins the lesson. She's asking questions as she ends the lesson. They're doing some hands-on science in between. And then she's going to give some opportunities, some some things are going to be required. A lot of things are going to be um, optional for them to use with the rest of their time that week at home, in their own parks and neighborhoods and places that they go with their family so they can keep exploring.
0: Okay, so we'll switch to Stacy because when they get to the fifth grade, they begin, I'll emphasize that word, they don't start all at one time, but they begin to be applying skills to the study of science, the same skills that they would be applying in other subjects as well. What are some of those that you would expect to see applied in science in fifth and sixth grade and on up as opposed to the younger years, fourth grade and below?
1: Right. So in um, fifth and sixth grade, we do start to introduce roots. So vocabulary is a huge part of science. And typically, if someone is struggling with science, it it is due to vocabulary. So if you can teach Latin roots, they're able to help break words down so they can understand parts. That is definitely a skill we work on. Also, another skill that we work on is working in groups, learning how to be a good lab partner, how to do your part without taking over someone else's part. Another skill that they work on is note-taking. We use the Cornell note system, so they're able to ask a question, give an answer back, helps them learn the material in a way to review concepts.
0: So I keep hearing the word question, 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 and Science, you know, from the Latin means knowledge and you gain knowledge, especially as a child and hopefully continuing as an adult by asking questions and even better good questions. You mentioned Latin roots. Can you give us an example of why that would help a student to be more proficient in science?
1: An example of how roots could be useful if you're studying botany and you see the term heliotrophism helio means sun, troph means nourishment or food, and ism is the conditioner active. So helotrophism is essentially using light from the sun to gain food. So um, Julie has a story about her boys who were trying to figure out uh, helotrophism versus phototrophism and in, in which the plant used.
2: Yes, yeah, so I have a fifth grade and a seventh grade student this past year and both had been learning word roots in their science classes and during the end of quarantine we were able to go out to a park and we were taking a walk and we saw this really crazy looking tree that had grown in this really funky way I think he was trying to probably get to the sun and two of my boys got into a huge argument about whether that was an example of phototrophism or heliotrophism and my teacher said that phototrophism means this well mine said this and It was really, really cute because, you know, probably both were right, but I love how they were able to apply some of the word roots that they were learning in their science class on an outing with our family.
0: Well, the roots help with application. You've got students in fifth and sixth grade taking Latin, but you have to apply it, and the students love uh, connecting things. They love displaying what they know, what they're learning, and they're working on the skills that you mentioned. Uh, suddenly, they're able to talk about two items and compare and contrast and do those types of really critical thinking that you talked mm-hmm. about earlier, Stacy, and exercise those skills where assessment is still under control, but they're moving on upwards to your neck of the woods, which is in junior high. So, how do you see a student who has been encouraged through the wonder of God's creation and having to have memorized those key facts? and then exercise those facts in the 5th and 6th grade, and then they wind up on your 7th and 8th grade doorstep. How do you see a student progressing into and then through those grades? What are you looking for in the development?
1: So definitely what I'm looking for in the development is that they come with some key knowledge, and I definitely fall in the category that less is more. I think that teaching some really key concepts well versus teaching lots of things I think the students can gain a better understanding of science. So I like when they come knowing key concepts, even if they're not mastered per se. And I would tell you, Julie talked about how the younger children like to bring things in. Seventh graders are still very excited about science. Last year I had a student bring me in a full deer skeleton. And she wanted me to she, she wanted me to look <laughs> at the parts and and see if I could put the skeleton back together. And so I cleaned the bones and we put the skeleton back together in class while we were doing a bone unit. And I've had students bring me all kinds of shark teeth and things like that. And these are, these are middle school, junior high kids. And they're, they're very excited about the science. I love when they come to me with an excitement for the subject, for the class. And I see that a lot here at our school. The kids, the kids love their class. And they're excited to learn. And um, we have some really good conversations about God as a creator. And I would say that's my favorite part of teaching the class is the conversations we have about Him. They're, they're really good. So yeah, I think just come in with some key concepts and excitement to learn.
0: So how, in your opinion, does a science teacher take that continued excitement and desire to talk about and through concepts, and keep it alive while the specialized science begins in high
1: school? I think having a love for the subject yourself and an excitement and a wonder in how things work, how God created things, how unique everything is, I think definitely helps. I think when a teacher is excited about material and she prepares it well or he prepares it well. I, I do think that it can inspire students. And not every student is going to love every topic. They're just not. But can you teach it in a way that does inspire them, that makes them want to know more? So I think as they're moving into high school, I think teaching it well also, um, having very attainable goals in, in the concepts that they need to know instead of just hammering everything, I think that's important.
2: One thing I've watched Stacey do in the classroom is make really good connections for the kids into um, how it applies to their daily life or how they're going to see this. And I'm talking from even a, um, we're talking some chemistry things or some Mm -hmm. molecular biology things, like, but how you make it real for them and show them how it applies to their life. And I think that gets the kids really interested and helps them dig a little deeper.
0: Well, you mentioned less is more as a concept and it's the age-old academic wrestling match between volume or quantity of academic material that's covered and therefore a desire to assess what's covered versus the amount of priority fundamentals that you seem to be talking about. So how how would you say that teachers try to find a balance in doing that?
2: So I think having a plan for what the school or what the um What the school desires to to cover in a year versus I'm going to cover every single vocabulary word in this book or I'm going to let the publishers of this book tell me what needs to be covered in a certain amount of time. I think deciding as a school what's most important to you for your students and giving that plan to a teacher kind of releases the pressure valve to cover it all.
0: I think that's true. I think that we can always be tempted to do more. More is better. That's the American way. It's how our countries seem to to grow. At the same time, when you look at students, the individuals, and what they can learn, I think that especially in the middle grades and junior high, but also into high school for students that science is not their favorite subject, if the knowledge that's expected from them can be contained, If they know that it has limits, uh, they won't be as frustrated. They'll learn everything that you're sharing, but they will also really learn those things that the teacher knows need to be emphasized.
2: I think, too, we're going to see a shift. I can't wait to see where our students that we have right now in the lower grades, when they get to high school, are they still going to be saying science is not my favorite subject? Because I think if we instill this wonder, one thing I've heard my middle schoolers say time and again after coming out of their classes is, That can't be by accident. That can't be by accident. Recognizing the creator and his fingerprint and everything in science from something from a physical science standpoint to to something from a life science standpoint. And I think if we've done a good job of pointing them to the creator and just igniting that excitement of and wonder at what he's done and what he's created, I think it's going to carry over. And even when they get to things that are a little harder, things they can't completely see, It's hard to see Mm -hmm. physics. Sometimes, I mean, we see the physics, but it's it's hard to understand them. You know, the math that's happening and that sort of thing. I still think they're going to dig a little deeper and want to understand it a little better because of the love that they that they got as a as a young student. Absolutely, I agree.
0: Well, to get young people to make those connections on their own with guidance is amazing. Rather than simply telling them and having them to write it down, they have to believe it. So. Would you say that there's any value in creation with something as simple as a starfish?
1: Absolutely. We dissected starfish in seventh grade this year over Zoom, actually. And I had many children tell me how much they enjoyed that activity. And at first, some of them weren't sure that they were able to do it. And it was a great stepping stone into dissection because it was one of ease and and pretty basic. So they really enjoyed doing that activity. And I think when you're looking at how God created systems to work in animals and people, you can't help but know that that was by design. So yeah, so I think that you can see the beauty in the, in the creator in in all of his creation.
0: Well, you had a student go to the beach already looking for starfish (laughs) to carry on the, uh, (laughs) Uh, The study even more. And it's interesting and almost ironic, going back to the less is more philosophy, that if our quantity of science in this case is such that it keeps a student inside working on his schoolwork, he's less likely to be outside
2: playing. 100% agree. Right.
0: So let's talk about that just for a moment. And I'm going to shift over to the American concept of the textbook and, by extension, the workbook. Unlike the earlier scientists, we are educating students in science typically from a textbook. Information is put together, it's wonderfully laid out, there are photographs of things that students may never encounter themselves. Textbooks can be very helpful, but we have to get them out of the textbook too. So Julie, I would ask you, what do you see as the value of the textbook and how should it be used well?
2: I love a textbook. Uh, Teaching without one would be really tricky. But in the lower grades, specifically in kindergarten through second grade, that textbook is used more by teacher and and mom or co-teacher at home to get uh, ideas, the main points from the science, suggestions of activities to do, maybe other books they could read about the topic. In third and fourth grade, we move into a textbook where students and co-teacher are going to read together a couple of pages about the activity that they've just completed in class and they're going to ask answer one or two questions from that textbook, and that's it. And then the textbook gets used more by the student, I would say, as they move into the middle grades.
1: Yes, in the middle grades, they are using the textbook more independently. So in fifth and sixth grade, mom may still be close to student, but in seventh and eighth grade, the students are pretty much reading it completely on their own, working through it. And the textbook, I would say, is very important. It's a tool to be used. It doesn't have to exactly be the standard. You do not have to learn every bold word in a textbook to be able to gain wisdom from the book or on the subject. And um, I think doing as much hands-on as you can in the textbook is is a great thing for the books that we chose. Right. We don't have to come up with the activities right. the publisher right. has, and the
2: author have, have come up with those activities for us, but we get to decide how much of it we're going to cover, the school's going to help us decide how much we're going to cover, and that sort of thing. Right.
0: Well, several times in our conversation today, Stacy, you have mentioned hands-on, 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 hands-on. Students and parents love to hear that phrase, hands-on. What does hands-on mean in a science class that you would think would be engaging and really help students to retain certain knowledge?
1: Well, I like to have some kind of hands-on activity, whether it be a small demonstration or a full-out lab where the student is participating pretty much just with guidance every class or at least once a week. I find that the students are most engaged, seem to understand the material and the concepts, better when they actually get their hands on it. There are so many different learning styles that we all possess, and one of them is kinesthetic. A lot of kids are kinesthetic learners, and if you take that opportunity to get your hands in it, you have essentially taken away one of their learning styles, the way that they process information. And science is so beautiful because it allows us to do that. It, it allows for the auditory learner. It allows for the learner who needs the hands-on or the one who needs to write things down. We talked
2: earlier about observation and the hands-on right. forces observation.
1: Right.
0: So if you are discussing a famous scientist uh, like uh, Gregor Mendel and you have the students handling plants, Correct. Observing differences in plants, then essentially you are walking in that person's footsteps. Correct. Correct. Uh, If you are staring at the stars, then you may not be Galileo, but you're walking kind of in his footsteps. Absolutely. um, As opposed to merely reading it in a book. Mm Mm-hmm. In the fifth grade, our students read A Secret Garden as part of their literature. And the character in The Secret Garden on this English estate is a young boy named Dickon. And Dickon has almost a magical sense and touch with nature. And it's not because he attended any schools, because the book makes it clear he did not. But he had an appreciation for science based on him living in it and being curious and attracting animals and studying them and so forth. So we've just had this rare, strange opportunity of being quarantined where most of our other activities have been canceled. Mm -hmm. So how do we hang on to that for the good of science? How do we keep up those practices where families have been spending more time outside?
2: Goodness, I think um, just making being outdoors, being in nature a priority, go ahead and schedule it in. You know, we we love our calendars and we love to put things down. So being intentional about spending time outdoors, I think it's going to be the answer. And in contrast to Dickens, also in the book was Colin. He had every book imaginable with. Beautiful pictures of flowers. He'd never seen them in person, and how he changed so much uh, when he finally got out into the garden and got to see the flowers for himself. Uh, Not that the picture books weren't great, uh, but you don't hear him talk about looking through them much after he gets outdoors. So I would just encourage families to uh, get outside as much as possible and in, in many different environments. If you can get by a creek, look at the ecosystems there. If you can get in a forest, if you can get in any part of nature and just Uh, ask good questions, look around, watch the ant crawling across your driveway. I watched one the other day. carrying something like, I don't know, 10 times his size. It just amazes me every time. But yeah, make make nature a priority. I, I think you won't regret that time that you invest there.
0: Well, this has been very enjoyable talking about science, particularly in the elementary and middle school grades. I'd like to have you come back and we'll talk some more. Is there anything that is on your mind and heart that might be a good topic for next time?
1: Well, I would love to talk about the differences between classical science and what sciences are being done today as far as STEM goes and how that looks different and how you don't necessarily have to be doing what the school's doing down the road to be succeeding in teaching science. We do a good job of it here with our classical literature and history, and I think we're all behind why we do what we do and why we've chosen it. And I would just love to talk more about why a classical approach to science is a great approach.
0: We look forward to doing that. It was good to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me. Thank you. It's been fun.
0: You've been walking with footsteps in educational ministry. Thank you for listening. We welcome your feedback. For more information, visit the podcast webpage at lakepointacademy.com.